War Room, the Hockey Podcast, back with you for another week. Uh, this uh, season is in full swing uh, across all leagues. Um, so this week is going to be kind of a uh, a recap, kind of a intro touch-on episode, if you will, for um, all of hockey, uh, covering through uh, the first couple weeks here of the season, uh, the first week in the NHL. Um, and the first couple weeks uh, across other leagues and other parts of hockey. So, um, so yep. So this will be this will be a kind of uh, take take what we normally do with headlines, and this will kind of be a headline episode. Just bullet We're points, st- notes, headlines, and yeah. and speak on those headlines throughout the episode this week. So we're seeing things take shape. <clears throat> You're starting to see players, teams. Uh, divisions rise to the top of all three leagues and the leagues that we, you know, in, in our world, uh, we, we touch on the NHL like everybody else. We also spend a lot of time to be CHL and the dub. So, uh, we'll hit those guys and, and we're starting to see, you know, a few surprises here and there, but we're starting to see the cream rise to the top. And, and, uh, as it always does, some of that's expected. Some of it certainly is not. So it's, uh, it's really, really fun to watch this happen after, anticipating all summer and and into the fall it's finally nice to see things uh, finally some things to talk about yeah so. now we don't no more speculating now we can actually see results so that's good gets us out of the prognostication business i looked that up by the way prognostication <laughs> i figured you don't seem the type to know those kind of words um this week we also have uh for the first time in a while um our first little uh, we won't make it an official segment, but our first little two minutes for instigating that we have this week. Oh no! Um, okay, that you're that you're going to touch on for All us right. this week. So All right. um, we have that to look forward to. But a uh, quick little intro for this week's episode. Uh, Evan Rauer here with War Room, the Hockey Podcast. Uh, before anything, hit the subscribe button. Um, make sure you you rate and review. Um, settle in. Grab Tell a your co- friends. Grab a coffee. Uh, something like that. Settle in and. Uh, Enjoy episode number 30. 30 episodes. 30? This is our 30th episode. Oh, episode number 30 of War Room, the Hockey Podcast. Quick thank you to um, North Paw Media, uh, Breakaway Brewing, and the Okanagan, the finest in handcrafted beer. If you're ever in Summerland in the Okanagan Valley, make sure to swing in uh, to Breakaway Brewing. Uh, grab yourself a pint of the finest in handcrafted beer. And a quick shout out and thank you to um, Ryan Walter, RyanWalter.com, leadership guru, as well as to um, Jesse Adamson in the BCHL, again, for a wonderful week last week and for being um, great partners and great um, great entities to, to work with in any capacity. So thank you again to them. Jeff McCallum at ABK Restoration. Yep, you want something fixed, and then fix it right with ABK. Um, so yeah, episode 30 this week, um, kind of touching on everything a little bit uh we'll start since we just got finished with uh the bchl showcase festival we'll start in the bchl um we uh 
officially, we'll start with it by welcoming officially the Cranbrook Bucks to the BCHL. Yep. Made that announcement official. It was nudge, nudge, wink, wink last week during the uh, festival. But uh, We mentioned it last it. week, but we but uh, this week officially welcome to the Cranbrook Bucks. BCHL, create a new um, Kootenai rivalry with uh, Trail and uh, even, to even teams out a little bit. Make it 18 teams in the BCHL. BCHL um, is the only league in the CJHL that has 18 teams. Yeah, now other leagues have six, other leagues have maybe 10, um, but the BCHL is the only one with the number of teams equivalent to higher end hockey, which is the NHL, AHL, uh, NCAA, things like that. Why, where are they? Do we know which division they're going to play in yet? In Cranbrook, I presume I they're going to play on the in, in the interior, but the interior also already has seven. Well, that means will that, they move Merritt maybe to that's the lower the question. mainland? Do they move if they put Cranbrook with the interior, which would make sense? It creates a division rivalry, but also a Kootenai rivalry with Trail, right? Right. Then you then that makes eight compared to five in the other divisions, right? So yeah. do, do you then balance it out by by maybe moving? two teams out of the interior then and move, making six, 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 or do you uh, at least move one to keep it seven and then maybe move merit or somebody to, um, the division in, uh, with Chilliwack and Langley and all that. Or, I have not heard. I, I need to, to me, that would make sense. Yep. Merit's on the way to Chilliwack. So, I mean, Merit's the closest one in the interior to, to uh, for yeah. travel purposes to play in the lower mainland, yeah. play Surrey, Langley, Chilliwack would make, that would make sense, I think, from a, just from a logistical standpoint. But yes. so, we shall see. But yes, welcome to the Cranbrook Bucks, BCHL. Um, look forward to that. I believe yep. they're they're not just in, but I think they're going to start next next I season. I think they do. Yeah, so. and they've got well, they've got the building, they've got the infrastructure for it, so it shouldn't be. I mean, now it's just a matter of putting the staff and the mm-hmm. and the uh, roster together. Uh, I, I haven't heard what if they're going to be a an expansion draft, so to speak, amongst the other teams, or maybe they just load up in the um, in the Bantam draft and, and take... Uh, I haven't heard yet. I have to, have to keep an eye on that for you. Uh, BCHL Board of Governors have approved the sale of the Coquitlam Express to a local businessman. Okay. Uh, so Coquitlam either is sold or will be will shortly be. Right. Uh, with the approval from the Board of Governors. Um, Coquitlam is a, a good good team that's solid solid place to play yeah um five bchl players uh listed on central scouting chilliwack chiefs forward ethan bowen right uh langley riverman defenseman ryan hellowell yep like that guy uh nanaimo clippers forward kyler kovich and vernon vipers defenseman trey taylor and then mm. v's for danny Waite. right um Gosh, we talked about all those guys. I we think, did. We touched on all of them. So, um, so good on them. Uh, on top of those five, though, across the CJHL, there, um, there are another eight junior A players listed in Central Scouting. Uh, five from the AJHL and three from the OJHL. Okay. In Ontario. Yep. Um, the highest rated. I want to. I want to see if you can guess this. The highest rated CJHL CJHL player. Just a guess. The highest ranked. Uh, we've we've touched on guard. we've touched on his brother. We've talked about his brother 
as a big name future guy. Currently, is it the is it the uh, the Byram kid? No, Byram is uh, WHL BCHL uh, highest ranked CJHL player Carter Savoy. Of course. Okay. Yep. yep. Defenseman. That's what I was thinking. Um, he's a defenseman yep. for the Sherwood Park Crusaders right. in the AJHL. Right. He's the highest ranked of all, of them all. Is of he all, still of, of all CJHL players anyway? Is he still signed at DU? Yes. He is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, but he's the highest ranked. The full list: Carter Savoy, Sherwood Park Crusaders. Um, they list him with a B ranking. We'll get to uh, everybody else has C rankings, but they include Ryan Alexander of the St. Michael's Buzzers, um, Michael Benning of Sherwood Park Crusaders, Ethan Bowen, Chilliwack Chiefs, Stanley Cooley, Spruce Grove Saints, Cabor, uh, Cabor A. Dunn, forgive me if I'm butchering that name, of the Fort McMurray Oil Barons, uh, Ethan Edwards, Spruce Grove Saints, Ryan Hallowell, Langley Riverman, um, Brendan Kennett, Burlington Cougars, Kyler Kovich, Nanaimo Clippers, Trey Taylor, Vernon Vipers, um, Ryan Tverberg, again, sorry if I'm butchering that, uh, <laughs> Toronto Junior Canadians, um, and Danny Waite, Penticton Bees. That's the list of ever, all the CJ, CJHL players listed in Central Scouting, uh, with Carter being the top-ranked one. Good for those guys. Congratulations to them, and they're probably that list is not done being filled out. No. Um, but the Savoy family, a very talented family with um, one brother being a, a big name guy in in Winnipeg with the ice. Yeah. And we'll get to uh, him the other being bit. the top ranked CJHO player. So yeah. um, good for him. Um, and a quick congrats. We saw uh, we saw him play at the BCHL Showcase Festival. Um, but Ethan Langener, Langenegger, excuse me, of yeah. the Salmon Arm Silverbacks uh, goaltender uh, just named... Uh, the BCHL Player of the Week, so good for him. That team plays tremendously well. They are going to be scary. I, they they just built. They're they're a playoff built team, and uh, well, and they're ten and two right now. So between that, this this interior division, because you got Penticton, it just got upset by Alberni Valley, mm-hmm. first loss of the year. Now that, which that goes was an upset. For back nothing. to what we were saying at the end of the showcase, where everybody's got to have your full attention every week and you got to play 60 minutes or anybody can get, you know, anybody can take any. Well, that's the way it is through hockey these days. There yeah. really is no easy game and there really is no, we're the, we're no number one and, and we're playing last place, no. you know, the last place team. So we can just skate through. So, but this no, interior no division, game. Evan, look at this. I mean, we've, we've seen how hard Vernon and West Kelowna can play. We know Merritt's struggling. Wenatchee is a very good team. They're, just above 500 at six and four trail salmon arm and penticton may be the three best teams in the entire bchl and they're all in the same division this year so that's um it's going to make for a great spring wow Mm -hmm. and we're going uh, we're going to see penticton and trail next week so looking forward to seeing how they uh how they stack up against each other uh, in as the season gets well underway. Uh, Coquitlam and Chilliwack look great. Um, Cochin Valley and Nanaimo are both uh, very good in the island division. So mm-hmm. we've got, uh, we're starting to see just pretty much just what we saw during the showcase. This, everybody can beat anybody, but you, boy, some of these teams really, really look just fundamentally strong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
speaking of which, we um, we were there. Uh, BC Show Showcase Festival was a showcase for a lot of scouts, um, potential um, major junior commits, potential NCAA commits uh, through that. Yep. Um, since the end of the BC Show Showcase Festival, there has been a number of new NCAA commits from players we saw. Figured. Um, Ethan Walders and Daniel Chenard of the Wenatchee Wild. Okay. Um, UMass Amherst and RIT, respectively. Joey Larson of the Chilliwack Chiefs, uh, committed to Northern Michigan. Henry Wagner and Brett Foe. Yeah. Ag- again, forgive me on that on that name of Prince George, the Spruce Kings. Uh, Yale and Bowling Green, respectively. Uh, Thomas Samuelson from Victoria, uh, committed to Connecticut. Jacob Badal and Levi Glassman. Remember Levi yep, Glassman? Levi Glassman. Uh, from Powell River, Western Michigan, and Colgate, respectively. Uh, Nolan Barrett, Matthew Krasa, or Krasa, and Primo Self of the Couch and Valley. Uh, Merrimack, Sacred Heart, and Miami of, o- of Ohio, respectively. Um, wow. So a number of players f- th- just th- as a result of BCHL Showcase Festival. Um so getting, that, getting the commit and and a number of players that we looked at and we were wondering based on age whether they would right. Levi Glassman is 19 or 20 Glassman and for he's, sure he's, a, he's he's committed to Colgate so right um and shows remember, that it can happen so congrats congrats to all of them yeah absolutely and and they're the 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 recruiting is certainly not done but uh, now that number goes from what did we say last week during the telecast? Um, 113, 120, something, yeah. something like that to now, so now 140, something. Right. Yeah, so now and, it's, and going. So yeah. the league just keeps getting better and better. Good for those guys. Congratulations to all of them. Yeah. So BCHL um, proven to be um, one of the best, if not the best, of uh, junior A hockey um, at recruiting at development at um spitting them out at high levels so yeah. uh, congrats to all of them and all the teams that that continue to do very very well with that um did we did we talk about ethan scardina a from little Nanaimo? bit a little bit we touched on him a little bit um not a whole had, lot he's just because he's aging out yeah he's, um but he um he remains unsigned right one of the top scorers in the league and a very very solid player and uh, I know there were there were a handful of guys looking at him during the during the showcase, and I, I'm surprised he wasn't on that list with Glassman and and uh, some of the other guys that were signed after the after the tournament was over. And Noah Wakeford also another another 2000 has been in the top of the scoring uh, from the in the entire league all year uh, from Salmon Arm still remains uh, available. So mm-hmm. some surprises there. All in all, uh, really fun to watch this develop every year and watch the players rise up and watch the teams uh, sort themselves out. It's Can't. good. It's good hockey, which is always fun to so watch. Passionate. So passionate. Transitioning, transitioning. We'll move next step. Uh, WHL. Yeah. Um, Medicine Hat and Edmonton both off to tremendous starts. Huge. Eight two and one and seven one and three records respectively for those two teams. Um, tremendous they are uh, medicine hat tigers are really really playing well and uh and continue to you know they just continue to to rack it up they've lost twice yep yep so 
eight um, and two. But and I do want I do want to um, preface all this um, from uh, WHL to NHL to all of this. I want to preface all of it uh, six games in. So when we talk about hot starts, they are exactly that. They're hot starts. It's 10 games in. None of this is set in stone. None of this is us saying that this is how it's going to finish or anything like that. Uh, just want to preface it. Six six to 10 games in, depending on which um, which brand of hockey and which league you're, you're talking about. So it's early on. Just uh, be patient. Stick with us on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's statistically... Memorial Cup hosts Kelowna. Kelowna Rockets. They're five and three. Yep. Um, and not great, but they're it's not as bad as it was last year, which was a one and eight start. So they've they've done some rebuilding. Uh, they've got you know they've they've picked up um, they picked up some help, and they've got some guys that are that are starting to play uh, play pretty well. Leaf Matson, um, yeah, they're getting and and of course Nolan Foot returning up front. He's really um, coming into his own though. We've seen him take that next step and really yeah. just start to put the puck in the net and take and really kind of step up a little bit. So it's uh, good to see him finally re- reaching some potential. Well, they've got they've got some building blocks there, and they're probably if I if I know how teams prepare, they are nowhere near finished uh, when it comes time to uh, to play this spring. Hosting the cup is always a big deal. Um, the the downside is you got to mortgage a whole lot of draft picks to uh, to build up the right now uh, in order to make sure that you're competitive when you host so that you don't get kicked out early. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch. They've they've got um, a handful of guys in this team that have been drafted already, and uh, and another at least another two or three that will be uh, that will show up in the spring at the uh, at the NHL draft. Matson being uh, a good looking prospect. Um, God, oh, wow. Dylan Hamlick, uh, already taken by, uh, San Jose, uh, another good looking forward. Um, it, Sean Comrie, the defenseman, mm-hmm. he played and, at DU. The, well, it is, is that his brother? No, he played at DU. Paul, Sean Comrie? Yeah, he played at DU and he went from DU to Kelowna. I don't, I don't know the details as to why or how that worked, but I, he, he played at DU. Won a national championship at DU. When? Um, just when they when DU last won the championship, which was 2016, 2017. So I mean, it. I don't know. I don't know the the details as to why, because I didn't know that it could work. But he. Um, now I'm I'm looking it up as we speak because I want to make sure that we get it right. Um, Currently, Kelowna Rockets. He played, um, yeah, played Spruce Grove Saints in the AJ, then played the 2018-19 season for the University of Denver, and is now playing for the Kelowna. He's Rockets. back in the dub. I'll be darned. I did not realize that. I didn't know he was in Denver last year. So forgive me. I um, he didn't win a national championship. 18-19 was the year Duluth won the championship. Right. Okay. Um, but he was a part of Denver, the University of Denver for uh, a season. So kind of a, an odd route to go. You don't see that all that often. No. Um, AJ, NCAA, 
major junior. <laughs> kind of a weird, weird. You don't see that yeah. that happening very much. So, um, but yeah, he's he's proven to be a solid player too. Um, nine games, one goal, three assists, um, two penalty minutes. Uh, he is minus three. But is he at two thousand? He was born in January of two thousand. Yeah. Okay. So he's nineteen. An um, old born 2000. in Edmonton. Yeah. He's uh, he's part of that family, right? Paul Comrie, Eric Comrie. Um, there's what is there four of those guys? Mike uh, Mike was the oldest years ago. Paul Comrie played in, at DU. Eric is in the uh, Winnipeg Jets system. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, kind of a weird route to take, but um, he's proven to be a, a solid commodity for the Rockets in, in Kelowna. So don't look now, but Prince Albert is seven zero and two again. Yep, They're off the, to another. See, I left him out of the hot starts just because Prince Albert last year was Prince Albert. And yeah. they, but, but well, they they're, they're a off lot of seven guys. and zero and two as well. Yeah. Uh, the no shocks for me, honestly, they're the ones that aren't a shock to me are uh, Regina and Swift Current, Regina Swift Current and Prince George, who both who all sit with two wins or less to start yeah. the year. Um, Swift Current sits with sixteen goals for and forty goals against. Ooh, and Regina is much better with twenty-one, four, and forty-six against. While we're... and it's looking, and I want to say this while we're talking about Swift Current, it's looking more and more like they could use Finley Williams in a year or two. Yeah, you wonder. You give so, a guy a chance to play, uh, play top line minutes. I mean, uh, he'll likely play top line minutes even at wherever university. he goes. Yeah, if he but, goes to Michigan, but he. It's looking like the way their team is built, that Swift Current could definitely use their own top star, their own top prospect. So, so we were talking about Carter Savoy a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Matt Savoy um, has played three games so far. I think he's allowed five. Am I right? He's allowed five total, and he's already played three games. Yeah. So in our in our chat with Brad Lazarowicz. Very, very interesting perspective, uh, and something I gave a lot. I, I have given a lot of thought to since we talked with him after the showcase. Why would you not at least blanket offer the very top pick in the Bantam draft every year in each of the three CJ, CHL leagues? Why would the very top Bantam draft pick? not be automatically offered exceptional status up to the club, up to the kid and his parents. You don't have to, you don't have to stick this kid in the, in the C, uh, CHL at 15, but you would have that option. If you're the top pick, what's the harm? What's the harm in allowing this guy now because they denied the dub denied him as they have everybody else since the beginning of time. You're talking about Matt Savoy. Matt Savoy. They denied him exceptional status. So here's a kid who you would presume at least belongs in the league. If he's not going to be a star at 15, he at least would have a home there. He would look, he would not look out of place at all, but you don't have to, if he's not ready, if his family's not ready, if the team isn't ready and the coaching staff isn't ready, then don't put him in but at least give him that option so that you don't have a guy like Matt Savoy who is likely, when he goes back to play midget, he'll likely score four points a game. 
there will be no challenge for him to speak of in midget. So it, it only it, it only stunts the development. Why would you not do that? And that's a rhetorical question. It's an open-ended question. It's not going to happen for the time being. But for anybody who's involved in the leagues, somebody tell me why that's a bad idea. I, th- I thought it was I thought it was brilliant in simplicity. And mm-hmm. and hats off to Brad Lazarowicz for coming up with that. Somebody tell me why that wouldn't work. Well, and the question is, will we see it though no. in the future at all? No, for any reason, no, no. Well, I don't. Th- well, I don't think so. I mean, somebody, the board of governors in each of those leagues, uh, starting with David Branch or somebody's going to have to step in and and suggest it, vote on it. Uh, there'll probably be all sorts of backlash about kids at 15 years old not being ready. Fine, don't put them in if they're not ready, but at least give them the opportunity so that you don't have to go through that exceptional status debacle every couple of years because there are more and more of these kids that come along that are Tavares, Ekblad, McDavid, Matt Savoy ready. The OHL does it every couple of years. The the other leagues don't. Carter is the older brother of Matt. Correct. Um, Carter is committed to the University of Denver for the 2021 season, so next year. Um, This isn't really um, breaking news as it happened in April, but something of note. Um, Carter, whose rights belonged to the Regina Pats, was traded in April to the Winnipeg Ice, where his brother is. So two Savoy brothers have their rights belonging to the Winnipeg Ice, one of which has already committed to being with, with the Ice, the other right. being committed to Denver. But both brothers belong to the Winnipeg Ice. That's hmm. just an interesting note there. So, Well, that, that could be a big thing. You, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but that could be a big thing. I mean, brothers wanting to play junior hockey together, uh, maybe they've gotten together and decided that, that going to the NC2A together is not in their cards. Uh play for the ice and and think it also well and i want to i want to say that the, when when we say this none of this is is in any way under trying to undercut the ncaa when we talk no. about players potentially it's just a choice reneging out of their commitments no. to go to the playmate to play junior but um but it it, it is an option right you know? it's an option to go yeah. nc2a or junior it's an option that's why usually you'll have a commit but you also have his rights belonging to a junior team. So it, it happens all so the time. It's not undercutting anybody. No. Just um, There's no right or wrong to it. It's yeah. just, it's a matter of the, the kid's advice where, it, you know, his, his family advice, his agent or his representative, um, the people who own his rights, where they, where they see him fitting in. Uh, you got to weigh all these things and, and your development. If you think you're going to be ready to go and, and start, you know, earning a paycheck at 19 or 20, then major junior is a great route to go. If you want to experience a year or two in university, get at least a start of an education, develop yourself physically and, and mentally and emotionally a little bit for an extra year or two and come out in your early 20s, that's a good option too. There's no right or wrong. It just, it depends on the kid. We see more NC2A alumni in the, in the National Hockey League every year. For that reason, yep. a lot more opportunity to develop and do, to do so at a high level and at a real low risk. So it's it's just a good option. But think think too from the standpoint of the Winnipeg Ice, which are 
you know, they're in the process of trying to establish that franchise in Winnipeg under new ownership, new management. Uh, they, they need, they need this buzz, you know, it would really help to have this kind of buzz around the team to have Savoy or maybe both of them this year. Or, I mean, conceivably, if, if Matt was allowed to play, they could both play there before the end of the year. Matt and Carter both could get, could move uh, into the, uh, the WHL before the end of the season. And that would be, that would be just be great for the franchise and thus great for the league. And, whether or not the kids are ready is up to somebody who watches them a lot more closely than we do. But mm-hmm. the option to go and do that should exist for a top player like Matt Savoy. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about uh, the BCHL being tremendous at development, um, being kind of the um, paving the way to the NCAA for players to commit to play college hockey. Um, but uh, we cannot forget to mention that this year alone, 105 WHL players attended NHL camps. <laughs> yeah. So I mean for I mean they're they're the next level uh junior A to major junior um but even the WHL pumps them out at you know 105 WHL players and that's only going to arguably rise, right? 105 yep. attending camps, 120 or 30 so um in the BCHL already committed to NCAA hockey. Um arguably more to come there. So um and speaking of speaking of th- all of that, Bantam hockey as well pumps him out for for major junior for junior A. Oh yeah, um, the 2019 Bauer Bantam Elite Tournament just finished this past week uh, in Abbotsford. Um, that would have been fun to see, showcasing the top tier Bantam teams from Western Canada and a number of elite Bantam teams from the United States. Nice. Um, Similar to BCHL Showcase, it's the f- it's the first chance for WHL scouts to get a look at the top prospects for the 2020, um, 2020 WHL draft. Right, all in one spot. So that's um, so oh, as a as a note between you and me on on recording, that's something to next year potentially look for look to to attend and 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 go wow. to next year. So and that was right down the road in Abbotsford. Oh man, um, that would have been fun. I wish I was started on the tenth. And it ended the 14th, so it just ended a day or two ago. Ah, um, would have cost us the Thanksgiving weekend. It would have, um, and I don't know if it happens the same time every year. Um, something to look to into. Keep but an eye on that for yeah. episode the, 65 next year. From the oh, it'll it maybe more than that, <laughs> um, more episodes than that. Oh, hopefully, that's right. Hopefully, it's more episodes than that. Oh, um, for sure it will because I forgot we only started recording at next the first year, of the year. So it, and if it's if we're doing it every week, that's yeah. going to be. At least eighty something episodes, if not over a hundred. So um, we can only busy. hope to be going that that long. But that's something to look forward to going to. That would have been fun. <laughs> um, but that just finished. So, um, so yeah. Congrats to the BCHL and WHL on, on tremendous development. Um, since the underlying theme with with us here is developmental hockey, so yes. it's um, oh that it's that Bantam tournament to would be a great time. Yeah. I'd love to go see that. Um, quick note, um, quick touch, not a lot to talk about um, right now, um, partly because we just didn't take the time to take notes for it uh, for the sake of honesty, but quick touch on NC2A hockey. Uh, their season is underway. Um, USCHO.com has the early season rankings. Uh, Denver, number one. They're 4-0. Minnesota State, 2-0 at number two. 
Minnesota Duluth at number three, one and one. Massachusetts is one and zero oh at number four. Cornell ranked fifth. Boston College at six. They're two and zero. Oh. Notre Dame is two and zero oh at seven. Quinnipiac two and zero oh at eight. Penn State two and zero oh at nine. And Clarkson is one zero oh and one, um, closing out the top ten. There are some there are some surprises in there. Uh, at least, and like you said earlier, that's uh, it's it's way too soon to start drawing any conclusions. But statistically, a good start means seventy-five to eighty percent of a good finish mm-hmm. uh, across any kind of uh, competitive leagues. But wow, there's some there's some teams in there that you don't see at the top, like Cornell, uh, Quinnipiac. There's some teams in there that you do not see at the very top of the NC two A rankings. Like like Boston College, Boston University, DU, North Dakota, uh, Duluth. I, there's there's a lot of them that you see basically every year. Mm-hmm. They're just perennial power. Well, it's, it goes to show the the growth in developmental hockey that other schools are growing in recruitment as well, and and starting to put quality products on the ice to to. It's, and I mean, looking at this, North North Dakota is not even in the top ten. You're right. Exactly. So, I mean, and again, it's early five games in, you know, at the max in NCAA hockey. And again, in NCAA hockey, they only play weekends. So that, you know, so it's early. But early or not, North Dakota is not even listed in the top 10. But yet you see Minnesota State, Cornell, Quinnipiac, Penn State, Clarkson, yep. all these teams that, that aren't usually in the top 10 to finish or even start a year, and they're there knocking out a, a North Dakota, knocking out a, um, I mean, pick a team, a BU, Boston right. University. So I mean, so good, it good for them. It goes to the good depth. for proper development, developmental hockey. So exactly, and it's and it just goes back to whether it's the USHL, the BC, uh, any place across the CJHL, there is a tremendous amount of just the depth of quality is really improving. It used to, you know, I don't know what, I'd have to go back and look at how many NCAA teams there were a generation ago. I'm going to guess half what there are now. There was no Penn State. There was no Minnesota State. There was no Arizona State. There were a lot of teams that have have spent the money and made the commitment as a school and as an athletic department to put together an NC2A program, which is a high budget program that takes a lot of money to put that together. They make that commitment because they have there, there is enough depth of quality for all those new teams now to not just find competitive players, but to be, to, to rise to the top of the NCAA. So good on them for that. And, and it goes back to the commitment of, corporate sponsors, season ticket holders, coaches, volunteers, and people across developmental hockey that make the world go round because mm-hmm. they are the ones developing the players. Yeah. Uh, and like it or not, it all comes back to the money. It takes a lot of money to develop a good hockey player, and that takes sponsorship, it takes volunteers, and it takes ticket sales. So, again, get out and support them because whether you're watching uh, Pee Wees, Bantams, Midgets, uh, or, or Junior – you're watching kids really become good young men and good young players. Yeah. Frozen Four is April 9th to 11th in Detroit um, while we're on NC2A Hockey.
So April 9th through 11th in Detroit is the Frozen Four. Well, you know so the building that, will be yeah. available mm-hmm. because the Red Wings aren't going to miss. It'll be vacant. The Red Wings and the Pistons, do they even play in the same place? They don't. Red Wings, do Pistons, well, I don't know. I think anyway, so. I think they follow do, enough but, basketball um, to know. But Either way, April 9th through 11th falls in the several-day gap between the end of the NHL season and what would be the start of the postseason anyway. So even if Detroit squeaks it out, um, the arena is available. So. I'm covering all bets. You can contact me at War Room, the hockey podcast. I am covering all bets that the Detroit Red Wings will be long gone by then, and the building will be vacant. Well, so. as we transition here to the <laughs> NHL, um, to the NHL, I do want to touch, because uh, we haven't touched on it a lot since we first mentioned it many, many episodes ago. Um, women's hockey has formed their own players association um but there is no update on what they what they would deem a viable league right um unfortunately and this is not not to get off topic or not to anything like that unfortunately from the nhl's perspective it is a business decision um ultimately and unfortunately and this is no way in any way a statement um, undercutting these women and what they're capable of. But unfortunately, the viewership and attendance numbers are not where they need to be to justify Gary Bettman getting involved. And, and I'm saying and I'm saying that only on the basis of that's where they stand now. Right. It's not it's- me saying it because it because I'm throwing that opinion out there. I'm saying that because it is a fact that that is where the NHL sits right now. They are deeming, they are deeming, and whether you agree with it or not, and it's hard not to agree with it just on statistics and numbers, but factually where the NHL sits now, they are reluctant to get involved, partly because the NWHL still is still playing. So even though 200 women um, are sitting out, the NWHL is still playing. So they've still fielded teams and they're still competing. And Batman has come out and said on numerous occasions they are not going to step step on the toes of a league that is competing. So they're not going to come in and just pull the rug for a league that's still out there. But also, Batman and Daly and, and all these representatives have said that from a business decision, they don't see the, the numbers yet to to justify the money then that's that's what i read and that's where we stand and that's just me giving an update because we haven't touched on women's hockey a whole lot so i'm i'm all for that segment of the game growing i think it's very necessary for it to grow but it cannot be a charity they play hard they have a lot of skill the olympic product is fantastic as you you know you remember our our discussions over the past months we're all for this happening, but in order for a sponsor, if I'm a sponsor, I want to know whose eyeballs I'm reaching. Mm-hmm. If you've got a couple of hundred people who are just, uh, I've got to have some impact. I've got to have some viewership. I've got to have people in the rink watching on television before it makes any sense for me to throw a bunch of sponsorship money at it. So the revenue streams are from sponsors and from ticket sales and they feed each other sponsors 
don't want to throw money into board ads and and uh, television money and everything else unless there are unless somebody's watching. If people aren't buying tickets and people are not going to games, this is why this has nothing to do with it being women's hockey. Mm-hmm. This is the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. It's the Phoenix Coyotes. It this happens everywhere. It's the WHA. It was uh, the NHL that folded franchises in the seventies. This happens if it's not a business viable option and people won't support it. There is not, the money's got to come from somewhere. Well, so women's hockey does decent numbers at the Olympic level, but the Olympics are every four years, right? You know, you need numbers in, you need numbers in between and the CWHL and the NWHL, they're competing in the practice arenas of NHL teams and they're drawing friends and neighbors. Yes. And, but then, but then they come out and they, they say that they're, that they're, They've proven that they deserve it, and maybe their competitive nature and what and what they do on the ice is deserving of these things. But the business nature and money, na- financial status and financial side of it says no, they're not. It's it's, just, it's you know it's the it's, so- the women's soccer you know made more money than the than the men's soccer. The the diff- but they don't. It doesn't seem that way because men's soccer, based on viewers and attendance, brought in six billion worldwide. You're talking six, about yeah, yeah. six billion dollars, and women's soccer brought in twenty two million. Now, because there's more money, the women made more money. Because it's, even though it's less money, the women in women's soccer made more money than the men based on percentages. Because there are fewer of them. Yeah, based on percentages, right. whereas the men made less money. Now, that's not to get political or in that sense, but no. I'm just, I'm just saying, st- stating based on, based on numbers and attendance, sponsorship, and the eyeballs coming in, how it balances it out and why certain things, even if it is men, might get more or seem like they're getting more than than the women. And so, so the point is, until until there's a viable business plan in place and eyeballs watching, we will like we will more than likely not see a WNHL. It takes a while. Think back. Well, you can't think back because you weren't there. I saw this happen with the National Hockey League. They expanded into markets that could not support them. Franchises folded. The WHA started. The WHA folded. Four franchises from the WHA were blended into the NHL. Most of them are still around, although Winnipeg left and, and Hartford left. There's, there, is a, there is a sifting out process that happens in any business, and this is no different. A generation from now... Women's hockey will be, uh, it will be on the map. It'll be a televised product. The buildings will be, the buildings will be crowded. The sponsors will be active. Everything about women's hockey will be a hundred percent viable. It's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. You unfortunately, because they play with passion, because they play with the same amount of heart that everybody else plays with, doesn't mean that there's somebody willing to write you a paycheck unfortunately i and i I hate to say that and again it has nothing to do with whether or not you're male or female it has everything to do with the business viability of the product 
So and investors, investors yeah. based on money, investors always, male or female, no matter the sport, nothing always want a return on their investment. Right. And if they're investing, throw out a random number. Just say they invest a billion dollars in something. They're going to want that billion dollars back, if not more, right, for it to be worthwhile. You don't get to be a billionaire or somebody that can write a check for a franchise in any capacity, whether it's it's junior hockey or women's hockey or the NHL. You don't get to be able to do that by making bad decisions. So when somebody says, I just, this, not, this is not for me, it's not the right time, it's not because they're male or female or because they're young or old or any, whether they're in Florida or in Toronto, it has everything to do with the business model. The business model has not yet sorted itself out. That's nope. all. That's all. Now, having said all that, I am very, very proud of these women for what they've for what they've done for sure for what they continue to do and what they tried what they're trying to do this is all just statements based on the business side of things yes these not the product on the ice the business side of things the ladies so, the ladies at the tip of the spear here are the ted Lindsay's of of today they're the, that's ted Lindsay from 1955 this is the this is the uh, Ladies Player Association from 2019, 2020. Someday these these women will be pioneers in their game, and the the ladies that are playing in the next generation will have them to thank for it. Because Ted Lindsay got his brains knocked out for four thousand dollars a year, and then put his entire career on the line to start that players association, and was basically drummed out of the NHL, even though he was one of the top players because he tried to form that association. The guys now that make eight and 10, 12 million dollars a year, they owe everything to players like Ted Lindsay who did that for them. So and that's the that's the same thing we're working yeah. with now. Unfortunately, it may take a, a generation or two to really start to show the benefits, um, unfortunately. Yep. Um, and I and it is unfortunate. I, I sit here not pleased to say any of this, but it's just the reality and the facts of the situation. So, um, but anyways, a positive for women's hockey, they're, they're starting and they're doing, they have been doing tremendous things and they're continuing to do so. They are taking the right steps. I don't want to talk women's hockey and only talk negative stuff. So they're taking the right steps and not just that, but for many years now, the on ice product, despite not having the eyeballs has been tremendous. The U.S. versus Canada women's games at the Olympics are out of this world. And on ice product-wise, you could argue they're better than some NHL games that you see. Oh, absolutely. And then we saw Finland playing this year. I think Finland beat both of them, didn't they? Finland beat the U.S. Unfortunately, on a bad call, call. (laughs) having the call back. Back goal, But technically, yes, if you want to look at it that way, they beat the U.S. and they beat Canada. So, I mean, they, they... the game is not only growing in other countries, but it's also putting a tremendous product in the ice. So yeah. they have a, tr- a lot of things to be proud of. Absolutely um, right. And, for, and they're for doing these the right women things. Do, for these women, trying at least trying to do the right things. And the women who who are now in the business world outside of hockey, looking back on their college days and, and things like that, very proud. And the future generations who are ultimately going to be the ones who benefit from all of this. Yeah. They are so paving the road right they are, now. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so good on them. Now, yep. trans transitioning. Um, just wanted to talk women's hockey for a bit. We haven't touched on it in a while. So, um, but transitioning uh, NHL. The NHL season is now six or so games in. Um, couple, a couple things of note. James Neal has about a goal a game this year, and the Edmonton Oilers are five and one. One of the great Hot surprises. There. Now the question with them is, can they sustain it? Yes and no. They can't. They can't continue to play this well. Well, yeah, because they, they played this well. Start. James Neal's projected to get 109 <laughs> goals if they stayed this way. So that's not what I mean. What I mean is no, can I they sustain it to where where they're a playoff team? They are to a where they team. where they make the playoffs, where yep. where they really start to turn a corner with their franchise. The surprises they they are one of the pleasant surprises. Uh there are going to be some unpleasant ones. Unfortunately, uh it's going to be Carol- tough times yeah. in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. The, Winnipeg's not, not very slow starts yeah. for a couple of teams here. Carolina's 6 and 1. Yeah. They're and atop the Metro. Looking really good doing it. Yeah. Buffalo, um they are the team highlighted well. this week as um for War Room on War Room social media as the team to watch for this week. Um, they are five Oh and one and they sit atop the Atlantic. Uh, they're playing very, very well. Um, San Jose's in trouble. New Jersey sits winless to yep. start the year. And, and at the bottom of the Eastern standings, uh, transition to the West, um, Colorado's five and Oh, uh, looking to make themselves six and Oh with a game against Pittsburgh. Um, as we speak the day of this recording this afternoon and, um, and they sit atop the central, uh, the aforementioned Oilers, five and one, atop the Pacific, um, and Minnesota and Dallas sit with one win apiece, and are at the bottom of the Western standings. Now, Dallas is more of the surprise in those with those two than Minnesota is. I would have been shocked if Minnesota wasn't uh, sitting on one win, but but Dallas has the chance to turn it. Dallas is a mm-hmm. team that that doesn't belong where they are. They are either. They're either going to be in full scramble mode by U.S. Thanksgiving, or they're going to get it turned around. And they did last year. They dug themselves a hole uh, early in the season last year and and came out of it to to make the playoffs. But th- this is going to be tough. And and as I was saying earlier about statistically, when you get off to a good start, it's I believe eighty. I want to say eighty five percent. Let's say uh, U.S. Thanksgiving if you're in the playoffs then you finish in the playoffs at a rate of all at 85%. Is that curve meant ruined, though, after what St. Louis did last year? Well, there's exceptions in that now, 15%. Yes, there's exceptions, and they do fall into that small percentage. Right. But it's a question at least worth asking, if, and that is whether the curve has been ruined at all based on what St. Louis did. Because by U.S. Thanksgiving and, and even further along by New Year, St. Louis was not just last place, but they were double digits <laughs> well, behind the rest of the pack last place, and they won the Stanley Cup. So is do they is that still something to say they fall in the small percentage, or has the curve moved at all? That that ex, that percentage is extremely small. It's the first time it's ever happened. And if you go, if you want to fiddle around at Christmas and be last in the league and say, well, St. Louis did it, so we're fine. You're going to be 
you're going to be in for 35 years of disappointment. Yeah. Get off to a good start if you want to have a good finish. Well, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. No, I'm not I, saying the teams can start the year one and ten, right? And then yeah, don't all, worry about it. Oh boys. yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm no. saying is, what I'm saying is, has the curve moved at all? It, based on based on St. Louis being the first team to do this, you know, where a team can be in last place and still have the hope of, just of putting of puttings of stringing it together. Now it doesn't change the math; it changes the cause for hope. That's yeah. all. I don't want to pull Jonathan Taves here. I don't know if you heard the comments. Jonathan Taves undercut the St. Louis Blues after last year. Um, not wanting to give them credit, not this and that, blah 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 blah. Sounds kind of like Drew, the way Drew Doughty's spouting off this year, but. Um, I do want to say that kind of like the Colorado Avalanche in their 48-point year, there were some things going, working with the St. Louis Blues for them to have the turnaround they had. And that's not to, uh, not to undercut the fact that they put it together. They had to go out and still compete and still put wins together, and, they, and then they grinded in the playoffs four rounds to hoist hoist the Stanley Cup, good on him, 100%, nothing taken away from that. For the sake of just conversation, I guess, I'm bringing up, you know, you could say they had some things working for them the same way Colorado in their 48-point year had things working against them. They they played bad, bad enough hockey to have a 48-point year. However, game in and game out, none of the bounces went their way. There's, here's the difference. And the, when when Colorado had a 48 point year, they had a dozen guys in their lineup that were waiver pickups or PTOs. True. Now again, this is all conversation. Yeah. This is all just it's just, the two very different animals. About, yeah. The the Blues last year at Thanksgiving, at U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas time, the Blues were not nearly as bad no. as they were playing. And they proved that that was a false negative by the way they played mm-hmm. in the second half. Now, nobody wants to do that every year, but this is a team that through a new coach and through a, a kind of a change in culture, got it together. Did it benefit them, though? Here's what I'm saying. Did it benefit them, though? And this is less me believing this and more me just asking something for the sake of getting different opinions. Did it help them, though, that at the time they started to turn things around, Anaheim, Colorado, L.A., Vancouver, all went 3-22? and 22. <laughs> it, it, it was a little of both. They, it was a false negative for the Blues in the first half. They played a little bit. They, they punched over their weight class in the second half, but they kept it up. And we'll see whether that was a great run at the right time or if, that w- if this is a team built for the long term because it's virtually the same team that they had on the ice last spring. Yep. But, that's yeah, there were some teams that, like you were saying earlier, looked good early and really stepped in it uh, from, from January, February on. I like asking these questions because whether or not whether or not I believe what I'm asking, it's interesting to think about, you know, that St. Louis last place at the new year turns it around, wins the Stanley Cup, and turns it around at 
you know, at the same time that Colorado, Vancouver, Colorado and Anaheim specifically, but Colorado, Anaheim, Vancouver, and all these teams won, lost really twice as many games as they won yeah. in that stretch. So, you know, it's <clears throat> something to at least, a rhetorical question, something to at least ponder, you know, and at least fun to think about, you know, is that something that went into it? Did it affect it? Did it not? You know, just things things to go into it and not to be a Jonathan Taves about it, but it's just something to, you know, so, it doesn't something help. to discuss. Right. So. No, I, I get it. It's it. It doesn't hurt when you're when half dozen teams in your conference really just start to struggle and, and take on water all at the same time. Is that because they suddenly became kind of bad or just, you know, really hit the skids? Or is it because you were playing so well that St. Louis and Vegas and some of the better teams in Calgary last year, a little of both teams have to, somebody has to play good and somebody has to play less than up to their potential. So who's, who's first round pick do you want this year? If you were going to trade, if you were going to trade an asset and get somebody's first round pick. Based on who, who we think is going to have the lottery, who's yeah. going to have the, who's going to win the lottery and be the first overall pick. Pretty clear that, some of mean? the teams, yeah, that are going to be in the lottery. There's a, there's a handful of them that are six, pretty six, much close your eyes. Six, are, six games in. Yeah. I'll take Minnesota's six games in. Yeah. Now this is six games in. Minnesota, now if we're, if we're, Maybe if Ottawa, we're, maybe Columbus. If we're projecting and we're talking prediction, Kings. Of, we're predicting where it'll be at the end of the year. Detroit. I'll say probably LA. Yeah. I'll, pro- I'll say probably tough times there. Probably LA, maybe Minnesota. Those are, those would be my two to be near the bottom. Now, again, these are predictions based on six games, but... San Jose's in trouble. It's where where I see it so far. There may be... They may be not a... You know, they may be not a top three lottery pick type team, but they are in trouble and headed well, they're, for... To me, they're, they're headed for tough times and here's there. the tough. here's the tough prediction for me with Minnesota. And it's the same way you can say with San Jose, is they could very well be last place and get the first overall pick, get the lottery. But they, but based on how they've been building their team over the years, they could very well just fall in the middle. Right. And which at would, that point, which to me is even worse, worse, because now you're now you're not only not making the playoffs and you're not a competitive team anymore, but you're not getting a, a top ten draft pick. Right. And so, right now, Minnesota with one win to start the year, they're one and four, one and five. They could very well be the lottery the lottery team. San, you know, I won't say San Jose will be, no. but my point with all this is these teams seem to be um, individuals that are starting to sh- starting to show the consequences for their inability, it seems, to accept the status that they're that they're that they've been in for the past year or two, which is we're in a rebuild. Instead, we're going to add this name we're going to re-sign Patrick Marlowe we're going to do this and that even after losing Pavelski and and whoever else and think that we're still going to be a championship competitive team and now you will likely fi- not find yourself in the lottery because you can still compete 
but you're going to find yourself maybe, maybe, it's hard to say based on how they've been to say that they won't, but San Jose maybe won't make the playoffs, and they'll fall in the middle, which means no top 10 pick, but no playoffs. This is the consequence we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This is what Pittsburgh has it. Uh, who else has got it? Boston, maybe not so much, but San Jose for sure has it. Washington has it. There are a handful of teams here that have been really good for a really long time, and you pay a price for not being able to draft at the top of the round. Year after year after year, if you're drafting in that 23rd or 24th position at the bottom of the first round, bottom of the second round, then you trade away a pick or two, you mortgage somebody for uh, for a short term fix at the end of the at the trade deadline. Now all of a sudden you got trouble. I mean, they look at the teams that have that problem. They were mm-hmm. good for a long time. Chicago kind of rebuilt themselves on the fly without having to tear it apart. Uh, the Kings did not. Jeez, uh, we're just we're just looking at teams here that really really tough times for teams that have been good for quite a long time yeah so it's it's hard I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna play it safe here and i'm gonna name a cup a couple of teams just so i'm not throwing myself in that that risk-taking bold prediction category i'm gonna i'm gonna pull in i'm gonna pull a statement from elliot friedman and i'm gonna say if i had any balls this is what you know what i'd say but i'm gonna pick a few teams um minnesota la ottawa new jersey to me, those are four teams that I could see one of, if not all four, being in the top five. I'm going to put Columbus in, and Detroit in, the top, in there. In the top five for and Detroit, I'll throw Detroit in. Uh, those to me, those are those are teams that are the top five, bottom five teams. Right. They're the they're the top five. They're at the top of the bottom favorites. Yeah. Um, at the bottom, um, and any one of which could fall to the lottery winner. Um, but to me, those are the five teams. Um, however, they fall after that, who knows? But um, that's my prediction. It's not. It's bold, but it's not as bold as, as it could be. So, <laughs> but before before we finish, before we close out, um, it's important that we touch on quite a instigating topic. Um, you're gonna you're Mike gonna Bab- light my fuse Mike, here, Mike, aren't you? Mike Babcock in Toronto. You gotta light my fuse. We've got we've got to light the fuse. Um, it's it, I want to bring I want to bring a part of this podcast. I want to bring two minutes for instigating back, and we've got to it. Um, before, before we finish and forget, I want to I want to bring up Matt, Mike Babcock in Toronto, and. Um, so, Brad, on two minutes for instigating, Mike Babcock, the floor is yours. I've defended this guy for the last time. I, he wouldn't give Matthews more time. He wouldn't change his power play. He won't change his lines. He does it because he likes to be in charge. I defended him. He's got a great pedigree. He's been a very successful coach for a really long time. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the results he's had in this league for the last 20 years. I'm okay with that. I salute that. I hear the stories from Mike Commodore, from guys that have been around him and how he's treated people uh, over the years. And you think maybe they're one-offs. And we've we've experienced at the at the minor hockey level the attitude that 
you know, a coach gets a coach gets uh, sideways with a player, and no matter what that player does, look what uh, James Neal in Calgary last year could not fit in, whether it was between him and Bill Peters or not. This is where, and now he's in in Edmonton, where Tippett's given him a good go, and he's producing. In Mike Babcock's case, we're talking about the Jason Spezza incident. Spezza, who grew up in the Toronto area, has had a 16-year, 1,000-game, very distinguished NHL career. He's coming home. He took, a, he took a major haircut to play for the league minimum and come home and run out the clock in Toronto. It's his last kick at the can. Home opener. The first night back on the ice at Scotiabank in Toronto, and Babcock puts him in the press box. Then he added insult to injury by saying he needs to work on the PK. I wish I had that beep button because you cannot tell me under any circumstances without it being completely insulting that Jason Spezza cannot grasp your penalty kill. Please don't try to tell me that. Please don't try to tell me that somebody else needs to be like, I, I don't know, who did, he, who did he have in the lineup that night? Nick Shore, I think, took his spot. Good grief. The guy has earned the respect, put him in the lineup, introduce him on opening night back in his hometown. Give him six minutes if you want to give him six minutes, but don't put him in the press box. It was a classless, crappy move, and Spezza deserved better. And I cannot, now when I, now when I hear these stories from guys like Commodore, I start to think to myself, okay, I've seen it. Yeah, this is not just a disgruntled guy who wasn't getting what he wanted from the coach. This is a coach who takes, takes the opportunity to flex his muscle and can, is absolutely capable of doing condescending, classless, cowardly stuff. And I've defended him for the last time. That's it. Already, well, it is. It's like a, it is a god complex kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and and we talk about developmental hockey. Um, we talked about it in earlier episodes. It's a god complex. It's interesting to see it at the NHL level because you're used to seeing it at the youth hockey level, at the developmental level. Um, you still are seeing it at the developmental youth hockey level, like we've touched on in earlier episodes with yep. certain associations yeah, um, and it's so it's pretty and, much and, everywhere and it is and um some places worse than others but wow is it prevalent in certain associations for sure um we, we, speaking from our own experiences we, and things absolutely but it's interesting to see it in in the nhl level with a with a guy that honestly that you that for the longest time you thought was a player's coach you right. thought was a guy that put the wins together and was a player's coach and was a a tremendous locker room guy and and somebody that people would basically th- th- you know die on the sword for yep. and so and now you're now you're you're hearing these stories and it i got another theory here and this is just a theory but you know we've talked over the over the months now and you and i off off camera have talked about it forever how hard guys play for Rod Brindamore, how hard they play for Rick Tockett, how hard they play for Mike Sullivan, Jared Bednar, Bednar, uh, Barry Trotz. 
These are guys that can take C-plus talent and make competitive teams out of them because the guys play their hearts out. I don't see that in Toronto. And I want to. You know me. I want to see it. I see a supremely talented team that does not have 100% of their heart in it. And I have a, I have a, another theory that the reason that Austin Matthews signed a contract uh, signed a five-year deal because that's how many years Babcock has left on his. Hmm. Coincidence, maybe. I don't think he you, likes oh, playing for it. You're going the uh, Brian Burke route I'm with, going with the, that. Yeah, Brian I, Burke came out and made that um, kind of clickbait statement of he sees Matthews finishing this contract and ending up in Arizona. and it, And everybody kind of vilified Burke for saying that, like, oh, it's quiet. He's just looking for something to talk about, creating something to talk about. So now you're you're going the Burke route here with. Well, I don't I don't know that because I didn't hear I didn't hear what Berkey said about it. But I do believe that Matthews does not like playing for Babcock. What well, he'll never admit it. You you may not know it until five years after he's hung up his skates. I don't think he likes playing for him. And if Babs is still there, he will not. He will not extend in Toronto. Well, I, if I Babcock want... is still there, Matthews will not extend. He may end up in Arizona, maybe not, but I, he's not going to play for Babcock. I wonder based on that, and time will tell if we see it, but based on that theory, I wonder if um, five years from now, I wonder if quietly or not so quietly, depending on how bad things get or whatever, if Matthews makes it known that he wants to be in Toronto. He wants to stay, but I'm not. But I'm not staying if you extend Babcock. So if you keep Babcock and you extend him, I'm not staying. I can't play for him. I wonder if that ends up being the case. To where then Dubis, if he's still general manager in five years, has to, make the the de- has to make the decision of okay, do, would I rather Matthews and no Babcock, or would I rather Babcock and no Matthews? I may because be, the theory the theory there too is if if it's Matthews you can argue maybe it's not just Matthews oh for sure it's not in that locker room that no. is not keen on Babcock now only time will tell but it's just in it's it's an interesting situation I'll go one so, further and this I may be overreacting to the whole Spezza incident but I but I know how other veterans and how players view this and even if you are a young, fairly unproven guy, if you're a Mitch Marner, if you're an Austin Matthews, there's young stars. You see the way a 16-year veteran that everybody in this game looks up to, the way he's treated, and that is a that is a kick right in the seeds to a guy who deserves better. And players look at that, and it may not have happened to them, but they go, wow, if it can happen to Jason Spezza, it can happen to me. I don't like the looks of this. This has got Mike Keenan written all over it, and I want no part of this. I I don't know. He he didn't have that kind of situation in Detroit. The players played above their pay grade for him in Detroit, and this is something fairly new. I, whether it's a fifty million dollar contract, who knows? I don't like the smell of the way things are taking shape there, and he. If this team continues to underachieve and flunks out in the first round in the spring, if he's still around in April and they lose in the first round, we may not have to worry about him next year. They may have moved on. Yep. 
might be time. Anyway, that's well, it. What are we looking forward to this coming week? Well, we're back in the boring old studio, which is all right, I guess. But looking forward to get back to Breakaway Brewing. And uh, well, we have we have new mic stands here at War Room, so we can can change the locations within the studio and with within things that we choose to record. We've got because I kept knocking new, them over. We got new new mic stands, so we can we can park ourselves basically wherever <laughs> wherever we want to be. Uh, within reach of a, an outlet for the sake of our our fancy um, recording box here and everything, but um, we proved that we can do it without Louie too. So I just want to go on record as saying that everything came off okay last week's episodes, uh, the two weeks that we were on the road, and we didn't lose any pens. No pens lost, and so, I think we've is I that think strike two for ourselves. is that strike two for Louie? Then yes, it is. All right, well, yes, it is. Anyways, but yeah, looking forward to. Uh, Another good week of hockey. Yep. Um, across the board. So now that the season's going, I guess that the what are we looking forward to this coming week is a self-explanatory answer. Yes. Because it's we're just I more wanna, and more hockey to watch. So I want to look into the um, I want to look into that Bantam tournament and see how things came out of there. I want to you know check some central scouting rankings and see uh, see where things are adding up because we're we're already at the point where people are are starting to. Uh, starting to put lists together for the spring. So it's so. going to be fun. Well, anyways, um, thank you all for tuning in. Um, we at War Room can't do what we do without the listeners, so we appreciate the support and appreciate you all continuing to uh, tune in and listen every week. Um, so tell yeah, your friends. Tell your friends. Um, make sure that you head to Facebook, head to Instagram, head to Twitter, um, War Room the Hockey Podcast, at War Room, the Hockey Podcast, and at War Hockey, respectively, for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, give us a like, um, follow us, uh, subscribe, and uh, rate, review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and share with friends and family um, to continue to help this show grow, and we greatly appreciate it. Um, thank you, Brad, for tuning in, for joining in, in the studio again this week. My weekly pleasure. Um, I'm Evan Rauer with Warm the Hockey Podcast, and I will see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.